All right, we're jumping in. We're in the book of 1 Corinthians. We've been studying this here this spring. 1 Corinthians. And we'll uh, start off here in chapter 1 in a moment. But uh, it's been a great study to get us started in this book. And the, the, the idea that gets us started today comes from the schoolyard. I don't know if you recognize this scene. The schoolyard pick'em. They've probably banned this now. But when I was a kid, this was a, an, an every recess event. You went to the field, and you lined up, and we're going to choose teams, and there's who's the captains. Is this familiar for anyone? Right? This was like every playground session. You'd choose the captains, and the kid was always the biggest and the fastest and the strongest. Like, well, obviously, he's picked first. And they worked their way down to slow, slightly portly kids like me, you know? So there was this, always this moment of, please don't let me get picked last. Please don't let me get picked last. Please don't let me pick behind that kid, right? Did anybody go through this? It's horrifying, right? It's terrifying. It's, unless you're the big, fast, strong kid, it always left you feeling really bad. Like, oh, they didn't want me. And, and uh, so it was, it's, it's a thing they probably banned, but it probably should be banned. But the whole idea was the strongest, the fastest, the most popular got picked, and everyone else got last, and you sort of knew where you stood, and you felt bad about yourself, and on it went. But if God were doing the pick em in the schoolyard, right, if it was reverse, and God's saying, let me pick my team, it would be the other way around. Give me the slow one. Give me the weak one. Give me the scared one. Give me the one who has no confidence. Give me the one who's afraid. Those are first picked. Those are first picked. He says a total reverse. He's like, I want the broken ones, the hurting ones, the afraid ones, the weak ones, the ones that got nothing going for them. Jesus says, that's my team. That's my team. And uh, so that's, that's what Paul's going to show us here in, in uh, chapter 1. This sort of sets our context. We're really going to focus in chapter 2, but I wanted to see this rolls into it. So look in uh, 1 Corinthians 1, verse 26, and just look at the team. Look at what God puts together. Look at his playground pick them. 126. He says, For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise. Not many of you could catch a football, right? Not, not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Now, first you can be like, hey, I don't really like that description. He chose things that are not foolish, weak. But if, when we're honest with ourselves, we're like, yeah, I like that description. There's no reason God would pick me. There's no reason I'd be the all-star. He, God's not looking for the all-star. He's not looking for the heroic person. He's looking for the person that just says, I need help. I can't do it. There's no reason you would pick me. And so the whole reason is that God gets glorified. 
right? He says, I, he picked so God, no one would say, well, the only reason the gospel spread and the only reason that your church worked is because you picked these top people, the smartest people. You picked the ones that had the most strategy. You picked the ones that had the best speaking skills. He's, no, because then people would say, well, it's only because you picked them. So God does the reverse. I'll pick the people that no one would want, no one would think of. Uh, if you look at his own disciples, right, they were fishermen. Uh, one of them was a tax collector. The other guy was a zealot, which is like a, you know, a political extremist. Like, well, let's put those two in the same room and see what happens in 20 minutes, right? Jesus is like, yeah, we'll just have a whole lot of fun here. Peter denies him. Peter's all over. And those are people that take the gospel around the world. There's some descriptions that say Paul was short, bald, hooked nose, and had a whiny voice. And he's the missionary guy. You pick that guy? Yeah, that's right. Now, I don't know. Those, those aren't necessarily in Scripture, but you get some historical uh, descriptions like that. It's like, well, yeah. And Paul's like, God, God worked through me. Because it's not about me. It's not about my skills and my assets. It's about everything God's doing. So there's a great freedom in that. There's a great relief. There's a great, I don't have to perform. I don't have to have all the pedigree. I don't have to do it. And that's what was going on in this church, if you remember, the people, when he left, were starting to divide up behind skilled leaders. Well, we like that guy, and we like how he speaks, and we like how that one does it. And Paul's going, it's not about that. It's not about people. It's about what God's doing through people, and God likes to choose the weak and the broken. So that's setting it up. So our point today is this. The spirit and power of God are still enough. There's still enough. What we're going to see today is Paul describe uh, what he did, how he spoke, how this church got started. And he's saying it's really not about me, and it's really not about all-star speaking, and it's not about technique. It's about, we saw last week, the cross of Jesus. And today he's going to say, and it's the Spirit of God and the power of God we're moving, and that's what did it. And I'm going to tell us that's still enough today. We still can rely on the Spirit of God moving the power of God. So let's look in. Uh, chapter 2. We're going to really do chapter 2, 1 to 5. The first part was just setting the context for us. Chapter 2, 1 to 5 is our main focus right now. So let's read that together. 2, 1 to 5. And I, he puts himself right in there, right? And I, not just you were the low ones picked, and I, he said, I'm right in there with you. And I, when I came to you, brothers, I did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. And my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power. So that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. So there's our section today. Let's go back and look at that. And I, Paul says, I'm right in there with you. Not an all-star. He's saying, I did not come to you with lofty speech. That means Hyde almost even has the idea of someone really smart talking down to you. Like superior speech. I know better and I can say it better. I didn't come with lofty speech. I didn't come with a smooth uh, thing rehearsed. I didn't come saying, I didn't come to you proclaiming with wisdom that this all makes sense and it's not this secret 
The, the Greek system was always looking for this new and secret and hidden insight. And he said, I didn't, I didn't do any of that. None of that. No high speech, no lofty speech, no special entertainment style. He said, I didn't do any of those things. Um, verse 2, he said, I decided. I decided. He made a decision before he got there. He made a plan. I decided. I made up my mind. That is a faith decision he made. It's a faith decision. He didn't say, okay, I'm making my strategy. I'm making a game plan. I'm going into Corinth. This is what they like in Corinth. They like speeches. They like lots of uh, uh, flattery. This is the best city ever. You know, even now, speakers do that or concerts. This is the best fans ever. And the fans are like, woohoo, it's us. They say it every city, right? Just YouTube the next concert. Or they'll say the wrong city and the fans, boo, you know. They're just pumping you up. Paul said, I didn't do any of that. None of that. None of that. I decided. I made a decision. It's a faith decision. I decided to know nothing except Jesus Christ and him crucified. It's really, why do I say it's a faith decision? Because he said, my only plan is that God will show up or he won't. That was his plan. He didn't say, I'm going to go in there, and if I speak in a way they like, and if I pump up the crowd, and then if I give this technical explanation, and it sounds really smart, then some people will line up. He's like, nope, I'm only going to talk about Jesus Christ crucified, and if nothing happens, then nothing happens. And if something happens, it's because God did it. It's a faith decision. It's something we've been doing here the last few years, when we've just said, we're going to fill up the water back here, and if God moves the heart to get baptized, they're going to get up and baptize. And if he doesn't, he doesn't. The only strategy is that we're ready. That's the only strategy. If the water's not there, then clearly no one can get baptized. But if the water is there, then it's up to God. And we've seen it both ways. We've had services where people get up, and we've had services where people haven't. And the only strategy is God's going to move in the heart, or God isn't. And that's what Paul said. I came in there, I made a decision, and I'm going to tell the simple gospel message, and God's going to do something, or God isn't going to do something. But it won't be up to me. It won't be going, okay, but plan B, if I'm starting to lose the audience, I start juggling, and then uh, we'll give away some free sausage. Like He's like, no, no, no. There's no plan B. There's no, I'm losing the crowd. There's just, I'm going to tell the gospel story. So, he says here to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. You can actually see it. If you want to jump, just turn a few pages. He tells us what he told him. If you want to know what the simple gospel message, go to 1 Corinthians 15. Just turn a few pages. He actually tells us what it is. 1 Corinthians 15. He says, this is what I told you. In 1 Corinthians 15, 1 now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you. Right? See, this is what I told you when I came the first time. Which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved. If you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. So he's saying, this is what I told you when I first showed up. And this is what I'm still telling you. And this is what you believed in. Verse 3. For I delivered to you of, his, of in first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures. That's the first part. Jesus Christ, Son of God, he died. That he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas. It's also Peter. He appeared to Peter, then to the twelve, 
Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. I mean, some have already died. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. Whether then it was I or they, so we preach, and so you believed. See, that's his whole plan. This is what the scripture said. Jesus is the Christ. He died. He was buried. He rose again. He was witnessed. That's why it said 500. They're still alive, meaning you could go ask them. At this time, there were still eyewitnesses who were still alive. And some have already died, but a lot of these people are still alive. You could actually go ask them. You could interview them. They could testify. But at the end, he says, this is what we said, and then you believed. The gospel, that's all it was. That was the whole strategy. I'm going to preach the gospel. He reminds them in chapter 15, this is what I told you. This is what you believe then. This is simply what it is. So back to chapter 2. He's saying this was a faith decision. I'm going to speak it. God's going to do something or he isn't. And he says, verse 3, And I was with you in weakness and fear and much trembling. Doesn't that make you feel better? I sometimes think you read people in the Bible and like, these are heroes. This is like alternate reality. This is people who could do things, but now we kind of can't do any of this. But in those days, when God did stuff in Bible time, they're heroes, but now... And Paul's going, I was no hero. I was freaked out. Weakness is actually the word for impotence. I had no power. I had no ability to do anything. And I, was, I had no power. I was afraid, and I was actually shaking. If any of you had to give a speech, you might know what that's like. Right? Even if you just are terrified of public speaking. But even after I've been preaching pretty much every week since 2005, I still get butterflies. It doesn't go away. It doesn't go away. There's still this, ooh, I don't, this isn't going to make it. This isn't going to work. Why are they going to listen? This is terrible, right? And Paul's saying the same thing. I was freaked out. I was afraid. And uh, I think it's this idea that you're actually very vulnerable. When you're talking, there's this whole big part of you that you're like, is it about me? Well, they reject me. So the moment you step out, and either in a public setting like this, preaching, which most of you don't do, or if you're just talking to a person or a small group, there's a big part of you that is in there. You are vulnerable. You are on the line. And um, I can't think of this guy's first name, but his last name is Tice. But he talked about, he talks about sharing your faith, and he said there's a pain line you cross every time. So there's a moment you're having a conversation with someone, you're talking about the weather, and you're talking about COVID, because that's what you talk about with people, and you're talking, and then at some moment, you're like, this conversation's going to go spiritual, and there's a line. And the moment I take the conversation spiritual, the moment I name the name of Jesus, I'm going to cross this pain line, because it could be painful. They could hate it. They could hate God. They could think you're one of those, right? They could, any, any number of things you don't actually know. So there's this pain line. And once you take it spiritual, once you say, oh yeah, I was at my church last week, or I was reading this in the Bible, or hey, what's your faith background? You've just crossed a conversational line and you don't know what's going to happen, right? Anybody there at work or 
You know, there's just this moment, once you voice that, you're out there. You're exposed, right? The armor's off. Here you go. And they might do nothing. They might freak out. They might social media attack you. Uh, They might spread rumors. You don't know. You are now exposed. You are now out there. They might hate it. They might treat you different. They might be interested, right? They might be interested. You don't know. So that's what he's saying. The moment you're going to get ready to have a spiritual conversation, whether it's preaching, whether it's a one-on-one, whether it's a small group, you're in fear. You're in weakness. There's a pain line. You don't know what's going to happen. You can not talk about Jesus and stay behind that line, but you can talk about him and you risk the fear and you risk the what could come, but it also is an opportunity that the Spirit of God could work. And the gospel message could make sense. So that's what Paul said. I was afraid. I was vulnerable. I was putting it out there. I didn't know what would happen. And you read what happened in a lot of those towns. Some believed. Some ran him out. He gives a list, I think, in Philippians. How many times he was beaten and how many times he was stoned and how long he was floating in the sea. Like He had some reason to be afraid. So he's there. He's freaked out. He's afraid. He's vulnerable. It makes me feel better. Verse 4 he says, and my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom. Like it's not, they're not convincing. It was not a sales pitch. It was not like if just leading them down and gotcha, there's no turning back. He said, I didn't do any of that. It, it, it was simply a demonstration of the Spirit and of power. So that, verse the reason, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Saying all this, the whole point of this whole thing, I'm going to simply tell the gospel story. I'm going to just declare what Jesus did. It's not going to be fancy, smooth, convincing. Because the whole point is I want your belief not to be because that guy was so convincing. I want it to only be because God moved. God changed you. He's like, I don't want it ever to be, well, you talked me into it, and then we're trusting in Paul, or you're trusting in Ryan, or you're trusting in whoever shared the gospel with you. It was up to them. Well, they presented it so good, I just had to believe. No, no. They told the story, and the message of Jesus was so powerful, I had to believe. So that always our faith and our trust, everything is because of God, not another human. And he said, that's, that's the whole thing. That was my whole point. And that's why I was afraid. That's why I was vulnerable, because only God can do it. And that's the truth. You really want it to be that way. I can't save anybody. You can't save anybody. Remember Paul said that in chapter 1. I wasn't baptized for you. I wasn't crucified for you. I didn't die for anybody's sins. God did all those things. So I don't want you trusting in my name. I want you trusting in his name. So he says there's two things there. I, in verse 4 and 5, when he spoke, there was a demonstration of the spirit and power. And then verse 5, it says, in the power of God. So that's where I came up with this line, the spirit and the power of God are still enough. So we said, last week we looked at the cross. We saw that. This week he said, I told you the simple message, Jesus Christ, him crucified. We read it in chapter 15. And he said, but the real thing that happened is that the spirit and power of God moved. And I want to suggest that, that it's still all we need. The spirit and power of God are still all we need today in telling the gospel story, right? That's all we need. He's still moving. So I've, I've selected, I didn't count them, probably, I think it's five, might be six. Five things that the Spirit and power of God do. 
and still does. So I want to look at them and show you a scripture or two with them. So the spirit and power of God are still enough. Here's something they do. The spirit convicts hearts. The spirit does that, not the speaker, the spirit. So if you look in um, John 14, no, sorry, John 16, John 16, verse 7, John 16, verse 7, has Jesus talking about when the Holy Spirit's going to come. John 16, verse 7. And this is Jesus getting ready to go to the cross. He's talking to his disciples. This is the night he's betrayed. This is what's all happening here in John 16. And in verse 7, he says, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. That, pass, that always still blows me away. I always think, no, it would be better if Jesus was here right now in my town, walking around, doing all these miracles. And Jesus says, no, 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 no. It's actually better that I leave. It's better that I go back to heaven. Because... If I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. So he's saying it's better that I go so that the Holy Spirit will come. And the Holy Spirit's not bound in a physical body. So he can be in my town, and he can be in Ferndale, and he can be in Mount Vernon, and he's in India. He's everywhere, right? He's not bound by a single presence. Where Jesus, when he was in Jerusalem, he wasn't in Rome, and he really wasn't in Bellingham, right? But the Holy Spirit can go to all those places. And when he comes, so this is when the Spirit comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. He does it. He gets in the heart. He starts, I'm talking to your ears, your eyes are looking at Scripture, but the Holy Spirit's the one that says, that's you. You need to respond. You have sin. You need to repent. This world system's going down. It's the Holy Spirit that does it, not a human. You see it in Acts chapter 2. You go to Acts chapter 2, that's when the church was born. I'll just show you this example. The Spirit convicts hearts. Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit comes, and this big crowd gathers together because they can hear the apostles speaking in their languages. And so Peter launches this big sermon. His whole sermon is about, well, Jesus died and was crucified and rose again. He tells the gospel story, and the result comes in verse 36. Acts 2.36, this is his closing line of his sermon. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Hear the same message? (laughs) I decided to know nothing but Jesus and him crucified. Peter says the same thing. God made him Lord, who you crucified. Verse 37, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. That's the Holy Spirit. Right? That's the work inside. They heard it with their ears, but the Spirit's working in the heart. And they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what should we do? They knew they needed to respond. And Peter said, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And it goes on. So the, the Spirit did that. The Spirit convicts a heart. Jesus said, It's better that I send him, because he can go everywhere at once, and he can go right inside of a heart and talk to you. And so we see that example. The first sermon, Peter just testifies that Jesus is the Christ, and a bunch of people are cut to the heart. It didn't say they were cut to the mind. It didn't say they're like, that was a good rational explanation, thank you. They didn't say that. It was their heart, like, oh no, we need to respond. We need to respond. So that's, that's the first one. Uh, the Spirit... And I need some more letters there. The Spirit changes a hostile heart. Forgot an S. The Spirit changes or can change a hostile heart. 
So the first one, the Spirit convicts hearts. The Spirit can change a hostile heart. If you're still in Acts, you turn to Acts chapter 9. The very writer of our letter, Paul, was hostile. Right? Some of you know the story. Not everybody does. In Acts chapter 9, Paul tells the story of what he was doing when God got a hold of him. Acts chapter 9, verse 1. But Saul, same guy, was still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord. <laughs> I'm going to kill you. Right? That was his attitude. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus so that if he found any belonging to the way, that's what they called Christians at that time, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. He's going to arrest them. Now as he went on his way, he approached Damascus and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him and falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? This is the part that's amazing. And he said, I am Jesus. I don't think that's the name he thought he was going to hear. Right? He probably thought he's here, I'm going to hear Yahweh. <laughs> no, I'm Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. And then that goes the whole story, and Ananias meets him, and he says, you are my chosen instrument to go to the Gentiles. But he was on his way to haul people to jail who were following Jesus, and God knocks him off his horse. He says, what's your name? I'm Jesus. Stop it, right? You've got it wrong. You need to worship me. Jesus can do that. Jesus can stop someone who's not just not believing, who's hostile, who's working against Christianity, who's saying, no, Jesus isn't the name, and Jesus can, can appear to you. In fact, that's one of the you hear missionary stories from Islamic countries. That's one of the ways that many people in Islamic countries where you can't even get missionaries in some cases, Jesus is just appearing to them. Like, I had a vision of Jesus, and I need to know what to do. And they'll seek out a Christian, or they'll find it. Because he can meet anyone, anywhere, in any place. So the Spirit can, he convicts, and he can change a hostile heart. The Spirit heals. The Spirit heals people. You're still in the book of Acts. Don't, I should tell you, keep your finger. I go back over to chapter 4. And there's a moment when um, Peter and John were arrested and tried, and then they get released. They're told, you can't talk about Jesus anymore. So they get released, and they go back to the church, and the church is rejoicing, and they're praying. And you see the prayer in Acts 4.29. This is the church praying out loud. And now, Lord, look upon their threats. Right? They told them, you can't talk about Jesus anymore. And grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. He said, help us to be bold. While you stretch out your hand to heal, and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. Now, healing stuff can get us squirmy because we get all this weird stuff on TV. And who's performing the signs and the wonders? Some ding-dong preacher dude, right? The signs are wonder and performing his name, and it's stupid. Sorry, okay? That's ruining the reality. Here it says the signs and wonders are performed in the name of Jesus. So a lot of times you're like, well, he doesn't do that anymore because we've seen a bunch of charlatans and liars doing stuff in their own name. And so we think we've got to throw it all out. But they didn't ask that their name do the healing. They asked that Jesus do the healing, right? Did you see that? Would the people be performed in the name of your servant Jesus, not in the name of the guy doing it? So I think we can still ask as long as it's in his name, not my name. Like, oh, go down there. That person will heal you wrong we've already read that it's only for god's glory but if jesus chooses to heal somebody 
through the power of the Spirit to the glory of his name, then he does that. And that's what they prayed. So I think, and there's been times, I've been around some people that were healed of stuff. I've seen people healed immediately of cancer. I've seen people not healed of cancer. I've seen both. I've seen people freed from things. I've seen healings happen. I remember a guy getting his back healed in a moment, and then others. You go to the chiropractor for 30 years. It's really up to God, but he still does it. He still heals. There's moments when he just does a work in someone's life, and you're, it's only because God did it. So that's another thing the Holy Spirit can do. And a lot of times, especially in a new missionary context, people will get healed, demons get cast out. And God's saying, look, this is real. There's power with the name of Jesus. And, um, and I think we should ask for it. I want to see God do more work. So the Spirit heals. The Spirit works in power. The Spirit frees us from sin. This is another one. The Holy Spirit frees us from sin. You look back, go way back into the book of James. It's almost to the back of your New Testament. Right after Hebrews, the book of James. And um, he's talking about some of the stuff the Holy Spirit does in James chapter 5, verse 13. James five thirteen. He says, Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. Again, it's the Lord doing it, not the person. And here's the key. If he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. So it wasn't just prayer for healing. It's also prayer for forgiveness. If he's committed sins, you'll be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. So there's this moment where people pray for healing and they do it, but people also pray when they're just stuck in sin, right? I have this addiction. I have this problem. I have this thing I can't get rid of. And you tell people and they pray and the Spirit can work. The Spirit can work. It's one of the things that... Um, I've read about in the Brooklyn Tabernacle in New York. They have this weekly prayer meeting every Tuesday night. It's one of the things in my heart when we're praying here Tuesday nights that people come in and they've had these drug lords come in off the street and just repent and leave it all behind. They have people that were strung out on drugs come in and repent and they're freed on the moment. Right? They have people with all kinds of gender identity confusions come in and just get it worked out on the moment. They, they confessed their sins and they prayed and God did a work in the moment. Now sometimes there's a longer haul and so I don't want to overpromise. Sometimes you work through things for years. It's, it's, it's however God wants to do it. But the point is James saying pray, pray with another believer and God can deliver you from that sin. He can heal you from that sin. And so that's the things when Paul's preaching the gospel and talking about it, the spirit of God does this work, not a human. I think this is my last one. Next time I'll number them. (laughs) Wouldn't that make sense? All right. The Spirit casts out evil. This one is in the middle of a story, but it's back. I should have done them in a different order so you could have stayed in Acts. But go back to the book of Acts. It's Acts chapter 19. And I'm just going to catch the end of the story, but I think it's very profound. Paul is in the city of Ephesus, and he spends two years there. He's preaching in Ephesus for two years. 
And I want to see the result of his preaching is not just that people get saved, but look in, what did I put it? Verse, chapter 19, verse 18. So he's been in Ephesus for a couple years. Chapter 19, verse 18. This is telling us the result of all the work there. It says, Also many of those who were now believers came, confessing and divulging their practices, and a number of those who'd practiced magic arts brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. And they counted the value of them and found it came to 50,000 pieces of silver. So the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. One of the things that happens when people believe is that it's not just that now I believe in Jesus. It's this total like cleaning out. Like all the stuff that I used to be involved in, all the stuff that's messing with evil, they just like get it away. Even at great cost, right? 50,000 pieces of silver. Should have looked up what that equals in dollars. But a lot. They were willing, like just get this away from me. I don't want anything to do with this. And the Spirit of God can do that. He's just get this evil away from my house, away from my family. I don't want anything to do with it anymore. And it was a result of God working. So that's when Paul says that I came in, <laughs> and what happened was I told the gospel message, and he's saying, but the Spirit of God was moving, and hearts are convicted, and lives are changed, and people are free. And we see here in Ephesus, it was actually changing. Even later, there's a whole riot because it's me- making a mess of the economy. People aren't buying the idols anymore. It's made such a difference. So the Spirit and power of God are still enough. He still convicts hearts today. He still works on the inside. He still frees people. He still can heal people physically. He can heal you spiritually. He can heal you from addictions. He can remove evil from your life and house. He can do all these things. But it's him doing it, right? It's not, Paul didn't say, I came up with a good plan and figured out how to tell you. I didn't tell you to do it. Doesn't hear Paul didn't even say, all right, everybody go get your books. They just did it because the Spirit of God was moving. And I think there's a great hope in that for us, right? There's this hope. We, you don't have to help God by being extra clever. You don't have to help God. You have to simply, you have to cross a pain line. There's a moment when you're going to be in fear and weakness and trembling and saying, I really feel like God wants me to say something to this person and talk to him about my faith. I'm going to cross that pain line. And it is a little scary, but it's his power that moves or it doesn't. He convicts their heart, or he doesn't. It's up to him. It's really up to him. We can't make him move, but we know he can move. So there's this great release, I think. You can say, you do it. Because it's not up to me, and I don't want their faith to be dependent on me anyways. I want it to be dependent on God, on what he's doing. So the spirit and power of God are still enough. So I wanted to give several opportunities to respond to any of those things. Right? The first one was that people simply, their heart was convicted. Maybe you're here and your heart's convicted and you need to say yes to Jesus today. I'm following you. Maybe there's something you want to pray and ask for healing. Some of you might be just, maybe you're facing something really difficult. A physical healing, a relational healing. You can pray, Lord, would you work in that thing? Some of you maybe have a sin area and you're, I just need, I just can't get rid of this thing. You need to ask for him to deliver you. Maybe someone you know is hostile and you're just praying for it. i just want to pray for this person they're hostile would you meet them on the road and introduce yourself i'm jesus who you're persecuting 
And maybe some of it's simply that there's just evil stuff. And you're like, that just needs to be removed from me. Or So we're going to have Pastor Mark's going to come and team are going to lead us in a, a couple of songs. The first one is in Christ alone, right? It's all him doing it. So this is a moment to stand and pray. If you want to come up here and pray, just respond. You want to come up here and stand. You want to come up here and kneel. You want to come up here and just pray and say, Lord... I want to respond to you. I want you to heal me. I want you to uh, work in this situation. I want you to work in the person who's hostile. I want you to remove this thing. This, this is a place where you can come up and pray during this song. I'll be here. I see Rick standing here. If you want someone to pray over you, just talk to us. If you want to pray to yourself, just stand there and pray. If you want to pray where you are, I just want us to realize we can still rely on the spirit and power of God. He's still moving. Let me pray now and then Mark lead us. Lord Jesus, thank you that you are All right, maybe seated. Welcome. It's good to see you. Good to see some of your mouths. It's kind of fun. So, all right. Coming up, our uh, summer schedule is just around the corner. We're going to be on the Memorial Day, May 30th, Memorial Day weekend. We'll have one service at 930 Looking forward to people seeing one another. And we picked the earlier time so that we have time to fellowship before your tummy rumbles too hard and you got to go eat lunch. So 9.30 on the 30th, and then we're going to gather outdoors. Unless it's raining, then we'll just gather here. But uh, you know how it is in the spring. But we're going to get ready for it. Next Saturday, we got a work day planned out here, 9 to noon, and just going to beautify the place. Make it ready. It's more fun to work together, even if you don't have all that time. You've got an hour, great. You've got a super-duper tool that absorbs blackberries, please bring that. And, uh, whatever you, and we're just going to work together. We'll eat lunch together and just kind of get ready. And there's a lot of fellowship even working together. So looking forward to that coming up here. That's this coming Saturday. We'll have a little work day out here. All right, we are in the book of 1 Corinthians. If you want to Jump into that, open it up. We're going to finish with the end of chapter 1 and start chapter 2 today. We'll, we'll, our main focus will be in chapter 2. And uh, the idea here, maybe you remember this scene. I don't know if you had this on your schoolyard. The schoolyard pick em. Anybody have the schoolyard pick em? Every recess you go out and you got to pick teams. And you pick a two captains and what do they do? They pick the strongest kid and the fastest kid and the popular kid, and then everyone else is in line, and they're feeling worse as they pick someone else, and, pick, and you're the last one picked, and you feel about this high. Remember, you know, remember this scene? Or maybe you had to do it in PE. They've probably banned it now in school, but uh, it was horrible. Right? It was, you don't want to be picked last. You don't want everybody to think you were uncoordinated and can't catch and too slow, whatever it is. It was, it's awful. Or it's super pride-producing. If you're always the top one pick, then you're full of pride and full of, you know, this. But if God were doing the schoolyard pick, if God were doing the schoolyard pick and lined up and said, who's going to be on God's team? He would do it reverse. Give me the broken one. Give me the weak one. Give me the scared one. Give me the one that's hurting. Give me the one nobody else wants. That's his team. He reverses this thing. And so that's, that's this whole thing he's gonna, we're going to see in 1 Corinthians. It's not about the all-star. It's not about the superstar. It's not about the human that can do the work. It's about God working in broken people. It's God's power. So let's take a look here at 1 Corinthians 
chapter 1, verse 26, this sets us up for our passage today. This is the backdrop, and we've been seeing in this church that they were having divisions based on, I like this leader. That's an, I like how they speak. I like how they lead. I like what they're doing. And Paul's saying, it's not about the leaders. It's not about the speakers. Right? He's saying, that's not how God works. So this is the context. This is God's playground pick 'em. 1 Corinthians 1, 26. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many of you could run fast and catch a football, right? You hear it in there? Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. No one gets to boast. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. So that's his team, weak, despised, low, nobody noble. That's his team. And so Paul's kind of setting us up here that that God does everything different. He's not looking for the human all-star. He's not looking for the best one because the result is then we put our faith in a person. Then we put all our trust in a person. But a person doesn't save you. God saves you. And so this is actually a gift. And when we're honest with ourselves, this is us, isn't it? Isn't this us? How many of you know that you're weak and low and ashamed and it's only because of God? Any amens? Yeah, so that's the background. That's what he's saying here. When God picks his team, he doesn't pick the all-star. He picks the one who's hurting. So what we're going to see today, that sets us up for chapter 2, that the spirit and power of God are still enough. He's saying God doesn't pick an all-star. God doesn't pick the great one so that it looks like the human did it. It's God's spirit moving through the power of God that saves people, that grows his church. And what I want us to see today is that that's still enough today. That wasn't just the spirit of God and the power of God was enough in Bible times, but now things are different and we've got to be more clever and use more technology. No, the spirit of God and the power of God are still enough to reach our world and to change our hearts and to heal us. It's still enough. So that's what we're going to see. So our main focus today is chapter 2, verses 1 to 5. That end part just kind of flowed us into the context of what Paul's going to say about his own ministry in chapter 2, 1 to 5. So let's read 1 to 5, and then we'll come back and, and walk our way through it. 1 Corinthians 2, 1. And I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. And my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and power and of power, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. So there's our our passage here. Let's look back up there at the top. I love that he lumped himself in. He just basically said, you guys are all kind of weak and struggling, and I, right? He didn't just say, well, you guys are terrible. I'm actually really something. He's like, no, no, you're low and weak, and I, 
He puts himself in that boat. When I came to you, I wasn't an all-star either. I didn't use fancy methods. He said that I did not use lofty speech. That's really almost a superior kind of speech or very technical, high-skilled language. Or he didn't use the rhetorical style. The Greek rhetorical style that they like came in and was a lot of flattery of the crowd. It's a little bit like if you go to a concert and the, the musicians are like, Bellingham, you're the best city ever. And the crowd's like, woohoo, we love you. And then the next week they're in Seattle. Seattle, the best city ever, right? And then they're in Portland. They don't know, right? They got out of a bus and started singing. They don't know anything about your city. But it's that idea. We're going we're gonna to build up the crowd. We're going to woo you over. We're going to make it. We're going to kind of butter you up. He's like, I didn't do any of that. No rhetorical style, no flattery of the crowd, no technical language. It even can almost mean like he didn't talk down to you, like I have the answers and you don't. Uh, he didn't do that. He, he said, verse 2, for I decided to know nothing. So this wasn't that he stumbled into it. This actually was his strategy. This was his game plan. He said, before I even got there, I made a decision, and this is a faith decision. So in verse 2, he says, for I decided that's a faith decision. He's deciding, say, the only thing I'm going to tell you is Jesus Christ and his crucified. I'm going to tell you about the cross. It's a faith decision because either God shows up or he doesn't. Either people respond to the gospel message or they don't. It's not, well, if if I'm losing the crowd, if I'm losing the audience, I'll start juggling and tell a joke, right? Because I don't want to lose the crowd. He's like, no, no, I decided none of that. My only decision, either God shows up or he doesn't. The gospel makes sense or it doesn't. So it's a faith decision. This is something we've done here the last few years with baptisms. We filled up the water behind us and we've just said, if anyone's going to get baptized, the water's there. If nobody gets baptized, that's fine. God's got to move the heart. God's got to prompt you to say, get up, your time to respond in baptism and if they do, we celebrate like crazy. We've had those weeks, just had it Easter. We've had other times where no one responds. And that's a faith decision. The only thing that can make it happen is God moving a heart. It has nothing to do with talking into smooth presentation. It's a faith decision. And Paul said, I made a faith decision. I made a decision before I got there. The only thing that will work is me telling you the gospel story. And if people respond to that, it's because God moved. If they don't, then they didn't. And he's like, I'm not going to insert any human technique there. It's a faith decision. I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. So what does that mean? Could you do that? Do we have enough to know if you want to explain the gospel to somebody? Maybe you're not going to preach up here, but you might be talking to a friend or a family member or a co-worker or a small group of people. Could you explain the gospel in simple terms? So what was this Jesus Christ and him crucified? He actually gives it to us later in this letter. So if you want to jump over to chapter 15, he tells them what he said. What was the gospel that he preached? What did he speak to them? What did he tell them? What did it look like when he got there? It's in chapter 15. If you want to jump over there, I'll just read. I'm going to do 1 to 11. This was the core of his message. He said, now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you. He's like, this is what I told you when I came, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, 
unless you believed in vain. So he says, all past tense, this is what I spoke, this is what I said when I was there, this is what I preached, this is what you believed in. So verse 3, here it comes. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins. That's the giant statement, because they didn't see it coming. Christ means Messiah. A chosen, anointed one of God died for us. For our sins, in accordance with the scriptures, meaning God had already told him that's what he's going to do, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, that's another name for Peter, appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. He's telling them that because you could go ask them. Most of them are still living at this time of the writing. Check it out. You could ask them. There's living witnesses that saw Jesus alive. Then he appeared to James. That'd be his half-brother. Then he appeared to James. Then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. For I am the least of the apostles, unworthy to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. Whether then it was I or they, so we preach, and so you believed. You hear him say it right there? I preached, this is what I told you. Jesus came, died, buried, rose. We saw it, we're witnesses. I preached that to you, you believe. That's all there is to it. So there was no other tricky communication. There was no other fancy speech. None of that. He just said that was the gospel. So go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 3. This is how he says he was. I was with you in weakness and fear and much trembling. Weakness is really impotence. I had no power. No power to do anything. I was afraid. I was literally shaking. Now, maybe if you had to give a speech in high school or college class, you're like, I know what that means. Anybody like, I hate public speaking. I'd be terrified. I'd just, I would be shaking. And like, that's how I was. And I, that actually makes me feel better. Does that make any of you feel better? Sometimes you read the Bible and you're like, well, Paul was clearly the superstar, this awesome rock star guy and traveled the world. He's like, no, I was terrified. I was freaked out. I was literally shaking in my boots. And uh, so he, he's, he wasn't supercharged. He didn't have some superpower. He said, I was scared. I was trembling. What are you scared of? What are we scared of? Maybe you're not preaching. Maybe you're not getting up in front of people. But we all have opportunities individually with a family member, a coworker, a neighbor, a friend, maybe a small group of people where you have an opportunity to tell the gospel story. What are we afraid of? There's something extremely vulnerable because you're basically, you're, you're not only putting Jesus out there, you're putting you out there and you're out there and you're exposed. And here's, there's a speaker I heard once, his name was, last name was Tice. He said, there's a pain line in every conversation. And when you're on the safe side of the pain line, you're just talking about everyday things. You're talking about the weather. You're talking about the Mariners. You're talking about their new Kelnick coming up, getting some hits. You're like, all right, this isn't made up hope. This is real hope. Sorry, I'm getting off track. But, uh, but right, you're talking. You're talking, and then you're talking about COVID, and then you're talking about this and that. But at some moment, if the conversation is going to go spiritual, there's a pain line. And if you're going to step over that pain line, you don't know what's going to happen. They might hate it. They might hate you. It might cost you your job. 
It might cost you your friendship. They might not look at you the same again. They might unfriend you. Right? I don't know. There's a pain line. You don't know until you cross it. You can stay safe. I'm not going to talk about my faith. I'm not going to talk about Jesus. I'm not going to share the gospel. We're going to talk about the weather. We're going to talk about the mariners. But once that conversation goes there, it could be as simple as I was reading in my Bible the other day, at church the other day. God was doing this in my life the other day. I even had someone after the first service say, I told somebody what I was thankful for, and they told me, you can't say that here. They, crossed the, they found that pain line real fast at their employer. So that's what we're afraid of. That's what, we don't know what's going to happen. Now, Paul, he opened his mouth, and sometimes he got beat. <laughs> sometimes he got thrown in jail. Sometimes he, he was bitten by snakes. He, was, he had all kinds of crazy stuff going on. So he even has more to fear probably than me. I've never been beat. But uh, that's, that's what's going on here. When we're going to make any kind of de- declaration of the gospel, even a spiritual conversation that's very general, there's a threshold. There's a, I'm going to be vulnerable here. I'm putting myself, even though it's Jesus we're putting out there, we feel it, right? Because we're tied to it. And so he said, I was in fear and trembling because when I crossed that pain line, I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know if you're going to run me out of town. I don't know if I'm going to be arrested. I don't know if I'm going to be beat with rods. I don't know if you're going to throw rocks at me. I don't know what's going to happen. And we have that same pain line. I'm going to open my mouth. I don't know what's going to happen to this friendship. I don't know what's going to happen to this job. I don't know what's going to happen in this sports club. Once I identify that I'm a Jesus person, pain could come. The flip side is God could work, right? So that's what we don't know. So verse 4 He said, and my speech and my message were not implausible words. Plausible there is uh, like persuasive, convincing. It wasn't a sales pitch that drove you to, oh, it just has to be so. That argument's locked tight. I'm going for it. He said, I didn't do any of that. I didn't do persuasive words. It wasn't a, a, a bulletproof argument. He said, it was not those things. It was in a demonstration of the spirit and of power. It means there was proof. Something actually happened. Right? Something actually happened. It wasn't like you went to a self-help thing in the end. You're like, all right, I'll never eat sugar again. And then in three days, you're eating cookies, right? Nothing happened there, right? They just told you what you already know. Don't eat sugar. And, but I want to. So he's like, it wasn't that. It wasn't a plausible argument. It wasn't a self-help. The gospel was delivered, and God did something. His spirit moved. His power moved. Verse 5 says, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. So God shows up when this gospel's preached, the simple, Paul said, it wasn't fancy. We just read it, right? Jesus died, buried, rose, we saw him. There's nothing fancy about that. I spoke it, I was scared, I crossed the pain line, and as soon as I did, uh, something happened because the Spirit of God and the power of God moved in that moment. And the reason is so that no one's faith relies on a human. And he said that in chapter 1, right? I didn't die for you, right? He said, no, I was, you weren't baptized into the name of Paul. Paul didn't die for your sins. And he's relieved by that. He's like, oh, woof. You, Jesus died for you. You're baptized into the name of Jesus. Your salvation is because of Jesus. We don't want it to rest on men. We want it to rest on him. So that's what he said happened. In Corinth, he shows up. We read the gospel he preached. They responded, right? He was there a year and a half. This church was born. And he said, that's what happened. God showed up. It doesn't have anything to do with all-star leaders and all-star people. And I'm saying 
the Spirit and the power of God are still enough? Can we today rely on the Spirit of God and the power of God when we talk about the cross? So last week we said it's all about the cross of Christ, and here we see that it's the Spirit of God and the power of God that work and take that gospel's message with the power of God. So I want to do, I've got five of them, five things that the Spirit and power of God do to make it work, right? So I've got five of them. I didn't number them, but I'm pretty sure it's five. The first one is it's actually the Spirit of God that convicts hearts. It's not the persuasive preacher. The preacher talks to ears or the person talking to your, you're talking to their heart, their head, you're talking through their ears. The Spirit of God goes down into the heart. So we're going we're gonna to look a few of these up. If you go to John chapter 16, Jesus says this. John chapter 16, verse 7. John chapter 16, verse 7. Jesus says this is what the Spirit is going to do. So John chapter 16 is a moment where Jesus is with his disciples right before his arrest. So it's after the Last Supper, before the arrest, and he's, he's prayed with them and he's explaining all these things. 16.7, he said, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. That blows me away every time. I always think, well, it's to my advantage if you'd show up in Bellingham and walk around and make some fish and loaves and everyone would believe. And he's like, nope, actually, it's better if I go. Because if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. So the Holy Spirit is not bound by one place and one location. When Jesus was on earth, if he was in Galilee, he wasn't in Jerusalem, and he wasn't in Rome, and he certainly wasn't in Bellingham because he was in (laughs) Galilee or wherever he was. But he says, when I go, I'm going to send the Holy Spirit, and he'll go to all places. He can be anywhere because he's a spirit, and... He convicts the heart. We talk to the ears. He talks to the heart. He convicts of sin. He he lets you know. He convicts of righteousness. He convicts of judgment. He does it. And so that's actually what you see. If you flip over a few pages into the book of Acts, this is how the church was born under the conviction of the Holy Spirit. Acts chapter 2, verse 36 Acts chapter 2 is the Holy Spirit shows up and all of a sudden all the disciples can speak other languages that they didn't know the minute before. And all the people stand around going, hey, that's my language. How would you guys learn that? And so Peter preaches a whole sermon. What does he talk about? (laughs) Jesus Christ, crucified, buried, raised, Son of God. He preaches the same gospel. We pick up at the end in 2.36. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ... This Jesus whom you crucified. Same old gospel message, isn't it? Same thing Paul said. I just told you about Jesus and him crucified. Peter says, Jesus, he's crucified, he's Lord. Verse 37, now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. It didn't say they were cut to the mind. It didn't say they went, oh, you made some good points there. I have to think about that, Peter. Nope, right to the heart. And they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So it goes on. But the whole point was, when the word of Jesus was preached and the Holy Spirit moved in their heart, 
It's the heart that convicts. It's the heart. And someone can hear the gospel story 50 times. And then all of a sudden it's like, oh, I need to believe in that. I've heard that story so many times that someone sits in a church for 40 years. And then one day they're like, I've never believed in Jesus. It just, that's the Spirit's work. Their ears heard it for 40 years. Their brain thought about it, but all of a sudden something hits them. That's the Spirit's work. So he still does it. You can tell the simple gospel message to anyone you're talking to, and then it's his job from there. You don't have to convince them. You don't have to really, really reason with them. You don't have to say, watch these 13 videos. You just keep, this is the message. This is, and let the Spirit of God work. He convicts the hearts. He convicted in the beginning. He's convicting them now. So the Spirit of God also, uh, I forgot a, a letter there. The Spirit changes a hostile heart. So it's not just any heart. The Spirit of God convicts hearts, but he also can even change a hostile heart, which is the very story of Paul, the writer of our letter. Just flip over to chapter 9 of Acts. Acts chapter 9, and Saul, he later is named Paul, but it's the same guy. This is what he was doing. Acts chapter 9. The Spirit can change a hostile heart. Someone against the gospel message. Acts 9.1. But Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord. He's saying, I am going to kill you. That's a hostile heart. That's a pain line, right? When he went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, that's what they called it, the way of Jesus, Men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. So he said, I'm already hunting down people in Jerusalem. I'm going to go north and get some more people. Let's go get them out of Damascus. Now as he went on his way, he approached Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him. And falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and enter the city, and you will be told what you are to do. (laughs) I got a new assignment for you, Paul. But he was not expecting to hear that name. Who are you, Lord? I'm Yahweh. It's probably what he was thinking he might hear. I'm God Most High. Maybe he thought he'd hear. No, I'm Jesus, the resurrected Jesus, whom you're hunting down my people. You're hunting down my church. Stop. So the Spirit of God can stop a hostile heart. He can knock them off their horse. He can blind them. And he can introduce himself. I'm Jesus, who you've hated, who you're against, who you've posted against, who you've taught against, who you've... He can introduce himself. That's great hope, because do you know anyone with a hostile heart? I do. Some of in your family have a hostile heart? I do, right? There's people that are hostile, and we don't have to lose hope doesn't say take them on, doesn't say fight them, get in their face. The Spirit of God can do that, and he did it with Paul. And he still can reach hostile people. The Spirit heals, right? When Paul showed up, he said the Spirit, there was a demonstration in power. So staying in Acts, just flip back over to chapter 4, verse 29. I want you to look at the prayer. In chapter 4, this is after Peter and John had been arrested and they were told, you can't speak the name of Jesus anymore. And um, they said, well, we're going to do it. But they come back together to the church and they're praying. This is the, the prayer of the church after they were arrested and said, you can't speak the name of Jesus. 
Verse 29, and now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. So that's praying for the human. We want to speak the name of Jesus boldly. But then look what it says, while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. Now, healing power ministries, that freaks a lot of us out. You're like, where are we going here, Ryan? But I want you to notice what they prayed. They didn't say, do signs and wonders in the name of the healer or the minister or the pastor. That's where it gets off track in our culture, when so-and-so is healing you. That's when you get weird TV shows on cable news. That's not the spirit of Jesus. That's so-and-so. That's so-and-so's healing ministry. They didn't pray for give us the power to heal. They didn't ask for that. They said, well, you stretch out your hand and the signs and wonders are in the name of your servant, Jesus. So we're not talking about people walking around and now I have the power. That's not not what they prayed. They prayed that they would have power to speak the name of God, which is all you can do. That's what Paul said. I just spoke. And they said, and if you stretch out your hand and you do signs and wonders and you heal people in the name of Jesus, that's him doing it. And that's something we can pray for. That's something you can pray for. A lot of times, especially when the gospel is going to a new area, an unreached people group, healings take place. And people go, whoa, we've never seen the power of the name of Jesus happen. But I don't think we have to not ask. I've seen Jesus heal people of cancer. I've seen him choose not to, and they died of cancer. It's him. It's up to him. I've seen people heal bodily ailments. I've seen people have them for the rest of their life. It's up to God. But we can ask. And when Paul preaches in Corinth, he doesn't say what healings or did or didn't happen, but we can ask. We can say, Lord Jesus, here's some people. We're going to tell the gospel. If he shows up in power and glorifies his name, that's him showing up in power. If he doesn't do those healings, that's his choice. But it has to be in his name, not your name, not my name. It's in his name, and he's doing it. So the Spirit can heal, and I think we should ask. Stretch out your hand and heal. Let people see your power move. That's what Paul said. And when and how he shows up, that's his business. He's God. The Spirit frees us from sin. Now, you might want to keep, I didn't do this to the first service. Keep a finger in Acts, because we're going to come back. Just giving you a warning. But jump over to the book of James. This tells us some stuff that the Spirit of God does inside the life of the believer. James 5. This is stuff he still does. The Holy Spirit still does this in believers today. James 5, chapter 13, or sorry, chapter 5, verse 13. 5, 13. It says, Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Hey, we did that already today. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up. Now this part, and if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. So what do we say this one? The Spirit can free us from sin. Not just physical healing. There's times when you come, he says, if anyone's sinning, you need to share it with the brother or sister. They need to pray for you. And you can be healed of that sin. I think of this in terms of even deep things and addictions. 
There's a church in uh, New York called the Brooklyn Tabernacle Choir, and they have this Tuesday night prayer meeting. The church is called the Brooklyn Tabernacle. They have a choir. Okay, sorry, you got that right. The Brooklyn Tabernacle Church has a Tuesday night prayer meeting, and they talk in there about people coming in off the street, on drugs, selling drugs, prostituting, whatever they're in, and they're just convicted on the spot, and people pray for them, and they're healed on the spot. People leaving all kinds of lives, all kinds of gender confusion issues, and people are getting healed. It's something we're praying for. We're to have a Tuesday night prayer meeting going, and that's my heart that we would see people changed on the spot. Now, sometimes God works in a long haul, and you go to counseling for 25 years, and some, he delivers you in the long run, and that's his choice. And sometimes God just says, I'm just going to heal you with that right now. That sin, I'm just going to be removed from your life. But he can still do it. So he says to confess to one another and pray for one another. It's still up to God. But here we're told to pray. So the Spirit can heal us of sin. The Spirit can free us from addictions. The Spirit can move deep in there. Still today. Still today. All right, last one. The Spirit casts out evil. I said go, don't lose Acts. I should have put them in another order, but I didn't. Acts chapter 19. The Spirit casts out evil. Now, this is, uh, Paul is in the city of Ephesus. He's been there for two years. He, he stayed there for two years, and he preached, and he was preaching to the whole region of Asia while he was there. And verse uh, 18 and 19, 18 through 20 give us just a little sampling of what happened as a result of him being there, as a result of the gospel being there. It says in verse 18, Also many of those who were now believers came, confessing and divulging their practices. And a number of those who had practiced magic arts brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. And they counted the value of them and found it came to 50,000 pieces of silver. Eric did a little research for me between sermons. Four to 500,000 bucks of items, right? So this isn't just like a comic book. This is big investment. So the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. That's when you know the gospel's really going, when people are like, I, not only do I believe in Jesus, I want to get rid of everything in my life that's of the old stuff, that's of evil, that's hostile. You know, you're like, if I had this whatever problem, get rid of that. Burn that book, burn that computer, burn that whatever. It makes a difference, and they're like, we, we just want it gone. And the spirit, That's a demonstration of the spirit God moving. It wasn't a mental change. It wasn't just a, a religious practice that now I go to this. No, I'm not willing to, even at great financial loss, I, I don't want to sell them so someone else finds the evil book. I just want it gone. I want to burn it. And so that's when you know the Spirit of God's moving. The Spirit of God and power of God are still enough. Right? The Spirit is still convicting hearts today. The Spirit is still, He can still heal people today. The Spirit can still turn a hostile person around today right the spirit can still stop someone who's uh, engaging in sin and heal them today the spirit can still move in your heart and say i'm going to get rid of that evil thing that's from my past and i'm just going to burn it right here the spirit does all these things so when paul shows up and says i told the gospel story simply and then what happened is the spirit and power of god showed up and demonstrated that something was happening lives were actually being changed physically emotionally spiritually it was making a dent in the cities around him because people were like, well, get rid of all this stuff. 
right? Even read, if you keep reading chapter 19, it caused such a riot because all the idol makers were losing business. Like, we got to get rid of this guy, Paul. He's hurting our pocketbooks. And it's not Paul. It was the Spirit of God moving. It was, it was changing the culture. And so that's where I just want to encourage us that today, the Spirit and power of God are still enough. How is he moving right now? We're going to have a time of a couple more songs of worship. I'm going to be up front here. Um, Eric's going to join me too. If you want to be prayed for today, you can come up right here and we'll pray for you. If you just want to come up here and pray and you don't want to, you don't want to talk, you just want to pray, you can come up here. You can kneel, stand. You can pray where you are too. That's fine. But maybe you need to come up and say, I'm ready to trust Jesus. He's convicted your heart. Maybe you need to say, I have this sin area. I need to be prayed over that it go away. Maybe you're just praying for a physical thing. Maybe you're praying on behalf of a hostile person. And you're just saying, Lord, you're going to have to knock them off their horse. I can't talk to them. They're, going, they're on fire. They're mad. And you need to knock them off their horse. You can pray that. Maybe you need to pray that there's some evil in a family member's life. And just pray, get that out of there. Let them burn those books. Whatever it is. This is a chance to come and pray, to be prayed for, to pray on your own, to respond, because I believe the Spirit and power of God are still moving in this room. So let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you are enough, and we can rely on your Spirit and your power to move. I don't know what you have planned for this room. Lord, I just pray if you have uh, hearts you're convicting to believe in you, they would come do that. Or if some need to be healed in some way, they would come up and ask. If some have an evil thing happening, that they would start a process of casting that out. If there's some that are very hostile, they, they would be turned around. Lord, we just pray that you would move in all these different ways. Would you work in our life? And we just pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Why don't we stand and Pastor Mark's going to lead us first in Christ alone. It's only him doing it. And uh, so, again, I'm going to be up here. You can pray with me. You can pray with Eric. You can pray on your own. It's all we're doing it now.